0: Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man who also died and was buried in Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus Lazarus, in like manner evil things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from, uh, from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that have warned them, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and they have the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? Eternal God, help us to measure our time in faithful generosity, that your will be done, your kingdom come, for life everlasting in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today's texts are a doozy and not one that are enjoyable to talk about because I was taught there were three things you don't talk about in mixed company, politics, faith, and money. Today we'll at least dance with two of those. For me as a practical theologian, I must stop and ask why. Why does this passage make some of us squirm or be a difficult topic to talk about? In the gospel reading, we see a rich man who after he has died ends up in Hades, where he's being tormented, and, and he has looked and as he looked up, he saw Abraham, who he knew who we know as the father of many generations. But however, the man that was next to him he did not expect. It was a man that he looked down at his entire time he was alive. We can surmise that these two probably never spoke until this moment. Yet the passage tells us a little bit about this man. His name was Lazarus, a poor man covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores, the Bible tells us. Scripture does not say if the rich man was scornful of Lazarus in their two different locations. It just continues the narrative. He just didn't notice him while he was alive, even though he was near his table. There is a brief dialogue between Abraham and the rich man, and the rich man sits tormented by every decision he has made, finally realizing that he has put his assurance, his time, and commitment into the almighty dollar. He wants Abraham to send a message to his family to warn them to turn from their ways, and Abraham reminds him that those people have the same resources available to them. If they were to press further, they have the same resources as Lazarus. Helen Montgomery DeVos reminds us, as parables go of Jesus, this has to be one of the least familiar. It flows from prior dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees about the love of money and the search for riches and true riches. This parable is not difficult to understand, but perhaps difficult to hear, because its meaning is clear. Riches cannot save you. It ends with a deafening silence and no resolve or Hollywood happy ending. A similar sentiment is echoed in Paul's letter to to Timothy. Paul heeds warnings of what to be on the lookout for, like asceticism, false teachers, improper improper prayers, etc. He wants to make sure that Timothy is on guard for things that could lure him away from his pursuit of God. I love the way that the message translation writes it out. It says, tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God, who piles on all riches we could, ever ama- we could ever manage, to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they will build a treasury that will last gaining life that is truly life. In literature and film, we can see the story of the regretful rich man played out in all sorts of characters. The ones that come to mind are Ebenezer Scrooge in The Christmas uh, Carol, George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life, Jerry Maguire in Jerry Maguire, <laughs> and Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood, and Gollum and Smeagol from Lord of the Rings. This is the one that sticks out so plainly to me that parallels our scripture readings so well. If you're not familiar with Lord of the Rings and how Smeagol fits in, I'll give a brief overview, but spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. While fishing with his cousin, they find the one ring. This ring is all powerful and holds tremendous advantage to the person wearing it. Immediately, greed, power, and lust begin to seep into Smeagol's core, and he ends up killing his cousin, to control the ring. Over time while in possession of the ring, he became deformed and twisted in body and mind by the corruption of the ring. A lot of action and adventure happens to com- to uh, culminate to our final scene where Smeagol dies while trying to get the ring back because he's so blinded by his own greed. As he falls into the volcanic lava of Mordor, he lets out one last my precious before being consumed by the fire. One writer reminds us, Years after Gollum's death, Frodo would forgive him. And as Gandalf had told Frodo that Gollum was an, actually an evil being deserving death, but was a pitiful being, bound to the ring's will, that Frodo's fate, and that Frodo's fate would be like Gollum's if he kept the ring. So what are we holding on to? What stands in the way of us deepening and enriching our lives with God? If you're like me, you could come up with a list of things that stand in the way, or we can narrow it down to one word, sin. When I was younger, I came to understand that sin were terrible actions that one person did to another, murder, stealing, adultery, lust, and the list goes on. Yet the definition of sin, like I shared with the kids, is anything that stands between you and God. I began to shift my thinking and realizing that my time can become sinful if I'm unaware of what I'm doing. We don't know the, wit- the wealth that each of us will consume, but what we do know and what we are-, are guaranteed is that each of us have 24 hours in one day. And if I'm running the world's rat race and never enriching my life through service, study, or living out the call of being a disciple, then I can rest assured that I'm living in sin. One way of looking at this is through the words of the theologian St. Augustine. He is often characterized as placing more emphasis on the spiritual than the material. He stresses that the value of the spiritual wealth over material wealth. For Augustine, the human heart operated with a spiritual gravity, meaning that its eternal destiny was tied to whatever it loved most. If the desire was misplaced on earthly possessions, then the heart was fixed to perish with perishable things. If one desired God... The heart would rise above material attachments and receive eternal rewards in heaven. Pastor DeVoise continues by writing, The beauty of the life and teaching of Jesus is that we do not have to live in the woefulness of sin. The end of this parable pushes us back across the chasm into the earthly world. Break through, shouts the man. But in fact, God has already broken through with her word through the prophets and his word in Christ. People have been given what they need to live faithful lives. They will listen or they will not. They will respond or they will not. I don't believe Jesus is condemning the idea of making money or accumulating wealth, but if that becomes your sole purpose and drive, then it may be time to recalibrate your priorities. Even Paul, in his letter to Timothy, highlights the need for accountability and having a trusted voice in this life. We need someone like Paul to make sure we are aware of the boundaries in this life. Because if we're not careful, there will be things that will suck every bit of time that we have on this earth. So what are you doing with your time? Kendra Moan reminds us, The parable serves to refocus the hearer on what we do with what we have. How our vocations serve our neighbors. Virtue, virtue is not determined by wealth, type of employment, gender, immigration status, or body type. Virtue is born out in deeds. We have been given this story as a reminder that God looks at those we may have not noticed. And if we are to be like God, maybe we can look up from our phones, our busyness, our pursuit of the almighty dollar, and see the ones around us. Maybe we can borrow a slogan from the Boy Scouts of America, and as an Eagle Scout, I try to continue, and that is to do a good turn daily. This slogan does not mean that every minute of every hour of every day I have to be perfect, but once a day to at least do one good deed. Pay it forward. Don't expect a return for something, but to do good and find value in those moments of kindness than the paycheck we get at the end of the week. Thanks be to God, and amen.